0: Bob Murphy Show, episode one fifty four. There's a tidal wave coming. What you gonna do? Get ready for another episode of The Bob Murphy Show. The podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. It's your source for commentary and interviews conducted by a Christian and economist. Now here's your host, Bob Murphy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Bob Murphy Show. This one I'm going to be reviewing, or commenting upon rather, two movies. One is the movie The Hunt which came out in 2020, and it was originally scheduled for a 2019 release, and it was called Red State, Blue State. You may have heard there was some controversy about it, that it's the story of a group of liberal elites kidnaps a bunch of Trump supporters of, you know, uh, deplorables and takes them to a secluded area and then literally hunts them down. And it was postponed because there had been, there were two mass shootings when it was originally supposed to come out. I think in September of 2019, they postponed it and they renamed it. It, it was also postponed partly because there was some outrage once it got leaked, the, the news of, of its plot. And uh Trump and others didn't care for what they heard. And so it got postponed. And then the other movie that I'm going to be talking about is The Purge. And the connection between the two is that they were both by the same producer, Jason. I don't know if it's Bloom or Blum. It's spelled B-L-U-M and it's Blumhouse Productions. I guess there I just decided it's going to be Blum. And so he's the producer of both. And they're actually similar films in many respects. So I'll be talking about both of those. So my standard disclaimer when I'm going to do movie discussions on the podcast is it's unavoidable. I'm going to have some major spoilers and so, if you're thinking about watching them, let me give you a little bit more information to make an informed decision, the hunt, or what was originally called Red State Blue State. if you were on the fence about it, if you wanted to give it a chance, but you weren't sure or it just you know fell off your radar, then definitely go watch it it's It's a lot better than I thought it was going to be. I'll put it that way. It is gory, however, though I want to caution you about that like there's it's not like slasher film gory, it's more like um. If you saw the Final Destination movies where they just come up with like people dying unexpectedly in weird ways and blood spurting all over the place, it's it's that kind of gory, right? so it's not it doesn't feature torture, but it, it's people don't die just from uh getting shot. So there's that element, but like I say, if if you knew that was part of the territory and you're still considering it, and then yes, it, it's redeeming features outweigh. The downsides and it, it is surprisingly good again, relative to what I thought going into it. The Purge, it kind of is what it is. I mean, there's nothing surprising about what it was if you saw the previews for it. And, and what that is, in case you don't know, folks, is the idea, the premise behind The Purge, and it's a whole series, uh, franchise now. I think they've had five movies in The Purge. I think it originally came out in 2013, the first one did. And the idea there is in the not too distant future. So I think they had it the first movie I think occurs in 2022. Then I think in the second movie, they say how that was the seventh annual. So like that would be the year 2023 and it was the seventh annual. So you can work backwards and it's either 2016 or 2017 is when they're saying the first purge must have happened. So that's, it's interesting that they did that. I'm not sure why. I think maybe because they wanted just to capture the, political economy of it, even though they might not have used that phrase, of course, without having it be a sci-fi film also, right? So in other words, if they put it too far into the future to make it more plausible that we would be at this state of the world with what I'll tell you in a minute is the is the premise, in case you don't know, I, I think maybe they didn't want to mix that up with, oh, if we say this is happening in the year 2040, well, then we also have to build in all the technological developments that would have happened too. And so maybe they want to just isolate and say, no, we just want this to be pure, about it's our time, except with this one little twist, same technology and everything. And the twist is, every year there is a 12-hour period in which the U.S. government says for the entire United States, there's no law enforcement. And, and not merely there's no law enforcement, this is critical. Any crime you commit during that 12-hour period, including murder, is not going to be prosecuted ever, right? So it's a, it's a 12 hours where you can do whatever you want. And that's not going to be held against you by government officials ever. You know, so it's not merely that they're not going to respond to your call for help. But even after the fact, you can't, you know, bring charges against somebody. Okay. So that's the premise. So that one, like I say, it's, it, it is what it is. Like if you saw the previews for it and we're like, eh, I mean, if you never saw it and don't care to, I'm not telling you to go see it. But on the other hand it's if you thought, oh, that looks interesting. I mean, yeah, it's <laughs> it lived up to the preview, put it that way. Whereas in contrast, I'm saying red state, blue state, when that became known, I can understand why conservatives flipped out about it, but it's it turned out to be better than what they thought it was going to be. All right. So at this point, I will pause and give you a chance to Hit stop if you want to be someone to go watch it first, one or both of these before you come and listen to the rest of this episode. Okay, if you're still listening, it's because you have voluntarily chosen to have spoilers thrust upon you, so don't get mad at me. So I'll talk about The Hunt first because I think I have less to say about that, or at least there's less in terms of political economy and my work on private law and stuff where, you know, as you guys can probably guess... That's what I want to talk about with The Purge. That's that's why I'm going to chime in on that movie. So let me just explain some of it. The, the big picture is what I want to say regarding The Hunt is this actually is a case where when you first hear the premise, you can see how certain conservative types would flip out and say, are you kidding me? They're making a movie about liberal elites capturing and then hunting down and slaughtering Trump supporters, and this is supposed to be, you know, art or, or, you know, entertaining. Can you imagine if they flipped the roles? Can you imagine? I mean, they wouldn't even, you know, get out the door with the the first fundraiser for that thing. They would be picketed and so forth. And they're just saying, oh, this is going to lead to violence. And da, 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 da. So this just shows that. Hypocr- so that stuff is all true. And I do want to come back to that point in a minute. But what I want to say is this movie was being, I don't know if ironic is the right word, it was a dark comedy. I'll put it to you that way. It was, so it was not just a thriller. It, it, I'll tell you what it wasn't. It, in the beginning, so my wife and I are, are watching this thing and we're trying to figure out, I don't remember why we decided to watch it. But for some reason, we started watching this thing and I had remembered the controversy about it. By the way, I think it came out in March of 2020 in the theaters, but it had a limited run because of, you know, the COVID restrictions kicked in. And so we saw it, uh, you know, on our TV, I forget which, what it's on. So we start watching the thing and in the beginning, it's just straight. So it, so it opens up where it's like the camera is looking at somebody's iPhone, all right? And so like, in other words, you're seeing it from the perspective of someone who's texting and, and the person's part of a group chat and they're talking about other stuff. And then somebody says, well, hey, I did you see what the rat effer in chief said? But it wasn't effer. And they said, yeah, I can't stand that guy. And then someone else chimes in and says, well, at least, you know, our vacation's coming up at the manor and we're going to hunt down some deplorables, something like that. And then the next person, you know, chimes in and says, hey, I thought we agreed we weren't going to talk about the manor over text. Okay, deleting this thread now. All right. So that's that. And then it, you know, transitions and there's a, a private jet that's flying and there's, you clearly, you know, wealthy guy who's like a lawyer type or, you know, corporate lawyer type, you know, real slicked back hair and everything. And as this is going to be relevant later in the movie, he's very uh, haughty and elitist with the, the stewardess, you know, so she comes up and she's like, oh, do you want caviar? Da, da da We have this and this. And he, he like, for one thing, he's got headphones on and he pretends like he doesn't hear her at first. And then he's like, oh, no, I'm just kidding, all right? So it's it's hard for me to convey just speaking to you folks, but the, he's, he's being a jerk, all right? Like, it, it wasn't like a funny prank or something. It was just, he just did it to make her feel awkward and uncomfortable and, and not know what, what to do. Like, should she repeat her question or not? Like, there, there was no, you know, he wasn't just doing a little joke to make her chuckle. He was just doing a power play. And then, and then he asks her, have you ever had caviar? Because she's, you know, telling him about the caviar. And she said it was excellent. He's like, oh, have you ever had caviar? So again, he's, and she's, like, oh, oh, uh, no. So again, he's just turning the table. She's trying to be helpful and do her job. And this guy's just being a jerk to her. All right. And then somebody stumbles forward and you, he looks, you know, crazed and you don't know what's going on. And then this guy stands up. and goes, I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor here, sir. Lay down. Let me see. And he takes a pen and he says, okay, okay. go." And he jams the pen right into the guy's neck and blood spurts everywhere. All right. And so then you're like, whoa. And so right out of the gate, the movie like shocks you. So it turns out that they were flying, you know, that plane is flying some of the deplorables to where they're going to go. And that guy somehow got out of his holding. And so they, you know, took him out right then and there. Okay. So that's how it's, how it gets going. You know, that's like the first major scene after that text scene. And uh, so it's, as a movie... It's very interesting. It's not what you expect, right? So then the next scene, don't, don't worry, I'm not going to summarize. <laughs> I'm like a fifth grader giving a book report. And then this happened. And then this character said this, and then this, that's not what I'm doing, even though it sounds like that's what I'm doing. Um, in the next scene, it, it opens up and there's all these people who are like kind of groggy and coming to, and they, they have um, like gags in their mouths that are like with chains, you know, going behind their head. And they have to you know get a key to open it like there's a little you know a little padlock on the back of their head so they can't take these things off they're like plastic and like a bike pad and stuff you know? so i mean it's, they're in there pretty good it's not just like somebody stuffed a sock in their mouth that this thing's pretty good in terms of being on there securely and you're going to need to break that little padlock to get the thing off your face and they're looking around and there's a big crate in the middle of the field and so they all there's I guess there would be 11 of them at this point because I think they were originally 12 and the guy who got killed on the plane was the 12th. So I think there's probably 11 left and they all kind of come together. They open the crate and inside there's a bunch of weaponry and then a a little set of keys and they realize the keys undo the padlocks. So they're all, you know, taking the gags out of their mouth. Okay, okay. Then boom, you hear gunshots. And so the camera kind of just naturally starts following around this one guy and this pretty young girl and, you know, he tries to give her a gun and she's like, oh, I can't use that. And he's like, no, you're going to you know take this. They're hunting us. You know, we're on the manor. That's what this must be. And she's like, oh, okay. And so you're just kind of assuming the way movies go that this guy is going to be the hero and or this girl, you know, and he's going to be protective of her. And you just kind of assume. And then boom, she gets her head blown off like 30 seconds after you meet her kind of thing. Well, not 30 seconds, maybe four minutes after you meet her. And, th- and that guy dies soon afterward, too. So that's part of what I mean when I say the movie. It's not, you're trying to, like, get a handle on it, and it's just, whoa, whoa. It keeps defying your expectations, and it keeps surprising you. And so it turns out the real heroine of the movie, you don't meet until probably half an hour into it, okay? And, then, and that's the point at which finally you fi- start following a character. The camera starts following a character who doesn't die two minutes later. So like I say, even in the beginning, like I realized, okay, this isn't what I thought, you know, there, and it, it wasn't merely that it was unexpected. It felt like, and it's, I can't convey this except just to tell you, it felt like the director knew what he was doing, right? In other words, and it's a Craig, I think his name is Zobel. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I think that's the director. So what I'm getting at is like, it was leading you to believe that the guy and the pretty girl were gonna be the protagonist, and then he kills them off right away just to shock you. Right. So that that's what I'm saying is it's it wasn't just I was jumping to conclusions. It it was leading you to believe it was gonna be one thing, just the way it felt. So it sounded like it felt like the director was the kind of guy who, you know, he he knows the rules so that he's allowed to break them, kind of thing. Right. So that's that's what I when that started happening, I was giving the movie a chance. I was like, okay, this director seems like he knows what he's doing. All right. And then, so we're, my wife and I, like I say, we're sitting there watching, this trying to figure out what's going on here. And in the beginning, this stuff was so over the top. And I'm going to, don't worry, I'm going to finish my train of thought. I opened it up a while ago. For Again, for you computer programmers, it's like if you do a do loop or something that I remembered, I'm, I'm not going to have Nests within Nests and not finish them out. So what this movie is not, even though at first I thought maybe that's what it was going to be, is... Um, the Brad Pitt movie where he's the Nazi hunter. What is that? I'm gonna look it up right now. Nazi hunter. What is that called? Inglorious Bastards, right? So in that movie, what is that? It's like a movie of, oh, imagine if there was this group that went around hunting Nazis during World War II and it could sort of change world history. I won't say more than that to give any more spoilers. And it's obviously just like a, like, a fan, like a revenge fantasy, right? It's just like to say, man, I hate those Nazis. And let's just indulge ourselves and just make a movie about guys who are really mean to Nazis, even though this isn't real, right? Like it's just a kind of a cathartic thing, just like, ah, just to, to let some steam off. Imagine, let's just have a movie where a bunch of Nazis really get what's coming to them. Wouldn't that be great? So at first, my wife and I were watching the hunt thinking, is that what this is? Except instead of Nazis, it's just people who support Trump. And we were very alarmed, like, holy cow, if that's what it is, this is really bad. But again, it's, that's not what it ended up being, even though in the beginning it was pretending to be that. So it's the, like the the director, he did a good job of, you know, and I I'm sure at first he liked the controversy it was getting, because, oh, yeah, this is the way to get a lot of free publicity. Everyone complain about it. Everyone's curious, and they go check it out. There's a lot of buzz. Even though it was so controversial, then with those two shootings that happened, it got postponed, and you know, people were wondering they were going to release this thing. Okay, so uh, let me look at my notes here. What else do I want to say about this thing? So when I started realizing that, no, this is not some revenge fantasy blood and gore movie just to let steam off, um, because we hate Trump supporters so much, that instead it was, I think you'd call it a dark comedy and, you know, political satire, perhaps. So where in the movie, when I started realizing, okay, no, this can't be what it purports to be, was around 21 minutes into it, the characters, some of them, you know, break get out of the main that original killing field, and they start running down the road, and there's a gas station. And so they go into the gas station, and there's this pleasant old couple behind the counter... And, um, and so the people who, who wander in are heavily armed, right? Because again, the, the captors gave them this crate in the beginning that was opened up. And by the way, a pig comes out of the crate that's wearing a sweater or something. And that's, that's an allusion to Animal Farm. Um, and then there was weapons in there, right? And so these people who are being hunted, they have big guns. And, and so uh, the, how does it work? It was something like the the people behind the counter were asking the guy who's there, you know, he's there, he's like trying to call the cops. He's like, let me see your phone, let me see your phone. I go, like, oh, okay, here you go, son. And he's like, we're being hunted, we were all kidnapped and we don't, we're all from different states. And he, and he calls and you can tell from the 911 operator, something's fishy, right? The 911 is, is like not responding the way a 911 operator would be responding to someone calling and saying, hey, we're being hunted, you got to send units right away, we're at a gas station. Like just the way he's like, Okay, sir. Yeah, we will. uh, I've made a note of that. It it just, something's off about it. Like you start to suspect that this is all, you know, this is like the 911 operators in on it. This is all a big ruse. So the, anyway, the people behind the counter are going, oh, uh, geez, son, you, you sure you want to, why don't you put that gun down? And he's like, no, I own seven guns at home. Anyway, I know how to use this thing. And they're like, well, gee, why, why do you have seven guns at home? And he says, because it's my constitutional right to keep and bear arms. And then the lady behind the counter goes, well, aren't those people out there who are hunting you exercising the very same rights? Which, of course, is a ridiculous non sequitur. And so the, and the guy, he doesn't get a chance to answer him because somebody else starts dying or something. But right. But I'm saying at that point, like that was so ludicrous. That somebody who's... So during this thing, they're they're making the Trump supporters kind of over the top. Like, for example, a different one earlier is this, this lady gets her legs blown off and then she's sitting on a spike that went through her chest, right? So her top half is on the spike and she wants to kill herself. And so she says to another of the Trump guys that's there... By the way, I don't think they ever said the word Trump in the movie. Um, but they did, like I said, in that opening text, talk about the rat effer in chief and then call the people that were going to be hunted deplorables. So, you know, the, I'm not reading into it. It's clear, but they didn't literally say his name as far as I can remember. Um, so this lady's sitting there, you know, her leg just got blown off. She's got a, been impaled with a spike. And she says to the guy, give me your gun. No, no, She says to the guy, shoot me. And he's like, no, I can't do that. And then she takes the gun from him. She goes, give me that gun, you snowflake. And shoots herself. So that right there, like, you know, like oh, because a Trump supporter would call people snowflakes if they're, you know, wussies. So th- that's what I'm saying. Like, right from the beginning, there's a lot of stuff like that where it was ridiculous and so over the top, you couldn't tell. Is the director just trying to be funny and making this whole thing exaggerated? Or do they really think Trump supporters are this stupid? Right. So that- that's what I'm saying. In the beginning, you're not sure because it's only the Trump supporters who are made to look ridiculous. So then likewise. At this gas station scene, which happens like 20 20 minutes later, the people who are being hunted when the guy proudly says, no, the reason I have seven guns is because it's my constitutional right. And then the lady says, oh, well, these people who are hunting you for sport, isn't it their right also to do that? Like, that's obviously stupid. And so you're still not sure. Like, wait a minute. Is the director just that dumb? Like, do they really think that that's if you own guns, then you therefore must be endorsing someone's right to hunt you? And like I say, so it's going to turn out that no, it isn't. But I'm saying at that point, I was like, wait a minute, what is this? It's because again, it was so over the top. Anyway, my personal doubts started to fall away. And I realized, okay, yeah, this guy is just trolling or, you know, is just making fun of everybody is later in that scene. So they, those people end up dead in the, in the store because the two people behind the counter are in on it. You know, they're, they're with the liberal elites. And so the lady she goes behind the, like they're dragging the dead bodies out of the way and they start mopping up the blood and everything. And when she drags one into the, you know, behind the counter or whatever, or bring them back to the storeroom, she comes out and says to her husband, oh, and he's like, what? What's the minute? He goes, he had a wedding ring on, right? So she's starting to feel some doubt about, oh, we just killed that guy. And the guy goes, oh, don't worry. He probably uses the N word, <laughs> right? And so then she's, oh, and then he, he, he says, he probably uses the N word to refer to African-Americans. And then she's like, well, no, they're, they're black people now or something like that. And so they're going back and forth. And he's like, no, you're not supposed to call them uh, black people. You're supposed to call them African-American. And then the other person says, no, 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 now we can call them black again. They do it on NPR. All right. So I'm saying it, by this point, again, this is not like 25 minutes in the movie. They start making the liberals be ridiculous and like sort of caricatures of what a white, elitist liberal would be like who wants is very concerned about racism and then is wondering oh wait a minute what do we call him now do we call him african-american or can we go back to call him black what what are we okay and and using npr as your guide as to what you're allowed to call people who are black right (laughs) so that's what i'm saying at that point i was like all right okay so um i had just made some there's funny jokes throughout and everything but i don't think there's much point in me telling you about the jokes so in terms of the the sophistication of it, what was interesting is there's a mistake. So this is a major spoiler. If you've started listening to this thinking you weren't going to watch the movie and at this point now, you're like, oh, actually, this movie sounds like it might be funny. Then, you know what you can do? You can move the scroll bar ahead a few minutes and, and skip this part because I'm going to give a major spoiler right now for this movie. And then if you want to skip to hear me talk about The Purge, you can do that. But as far as the major spoiler, so it turns out that The um, two spoilers, actually, that initial text conversation was a joke. Okay. So the person who wrote, let's go get these, you know, round up some deplorables or that was a joke. But because one of the guys in the conversation was having an affair, his text messages got subpoenaed or something. And so then that other person's joke somehow got leaked out to the public. And so then a bunch of right-wing bloggers got a hold of it and started like, you know, concocting this grand conspiracy theory about, look, at this is proof there are really elite liberals who go out and kidnap Trump supporters and take them to some place on their manor and, and hunt them down for sport, even though that wasn't, you know, that was just a myth. And so the person who texted that was, re- it was So it was like pizza game. So it would be as if somebody said, you know, okay, well, make sure we order this and this with the young kids. Ha ha. Just referring to the stupid conspiracy theory they had heard and pretending it was real, just to be funny. And then if a Trump supporter saw that and said, "See, it really is real," they admit it, right? So that's the kind of thing that happened. And so this lady lost her job, and you know, so in the movie, that's why they end up going and doing it, right? And the and the people they picked were the right wing, you know, bloggers or podcasters or whatever who were pushing or on social media who were pushing the narrative saying we got to get these you know, liberal elitists. All right, so they're doing it as revenge. So that was an interesting twist. But, and so my comment is, what was interesting is they were mad at the Trump supporters for accusing them of doing something that they ended up doing. And again, the director was sophisticated enough. I think that he did that on purpose. So in other words, what the liberals were doing was they were so outraged, like how dare you accuse us of being killers you right-wing blowhards, and to punish you for that, we're going to kill you, right? You, you see, and I thought, you know what, that, that's right. That's correct. Like, that's, <laughs> that is how liberal, like, that is what their value system is. It's sort of like, well, any I'll, I'll move on. And and so and, it's like, you know, oh, you're going to accuse us of using violence if we don't get our way? Well, because we're so mad at you, we're going to, you know, burn your city down then. So then, um, And then beyond that, though, so they had the 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 true heroine of the movie, who's you know this woman who had served in Afghanistan, and you know so she's knows what she's doing with weapons and whatever, and can fight in hand to hand combat. So she know she ends up getting through and you know facing the final boss in the last battle, and she tells the you know the lady who orchestrated the whole thing before you know they they have their their head to head battle. She tells her that you screwed up. She said, you got the wrong lady. There's someone else in my town with my same name. Her middle name is spelled differently. We get each other's mail all the time saying, you know, you, you kidnapped me and are hunting me. I'm not even the right wing person that commented about you on social media. That's, that's somebody else in my town with my same name. And so then they fight and whatever, and then they're both, you know, bleeding and seemingly both are going to die, but the heroine pulls through. And the lady who had orchestrated the hunt and everything who had kidnapped her says as they're both dying, just just tell me, look, we're both gonna die. Did I really get the wrong person? Or are you the, you know, were you the someone the person who who called me a you know female dog on social media? And the lady, you know, the the heroine of the story goes, You got the wrong lady. And so then, you know, the camera moves back to the liberal elite who works here, the whole thing, and she just goes, Whoops, and then dies. <laughs> <laughs> and so, again, what I, th- I thought that was great is they were showing so, so the, in case I'm not being clear here, the point of the movie is both extremes are wrong and absurd, right? So the movie is making fun of both sort of you know, knee-jerk right- wingers, but also liberal elites who think they're sophisticated and morally, morally superior. What they were showing there is this lady, you know, kidnapped this person, hunted her down or whatever and and thinks she's now bleeding to death on her kitchen floor. And when learning that, oh, regardless of whether my value system in terms of what did this lady who said this about me on social media deserve to be hunted down like a dog, regardless of whether that's justified, the fact that I got the wrong person possibly, and then to hear that and would you feel horrified and just to go, oh, whoops. Like, th- I thought that was great because that's like, yeah. Oh, the COVID lockdowns may have killed... Millions of people in Africa from starvation. Oh well, whoops. You know, hey, we were just trying to help. That's that's what I thought the director was capturing there, or I guess it could be the writer too. Uh-huh. Huh? Was the <laughs> just the complete lack of accountability or concern. Like when you're when you use violence to go impose your will on everybody else because you think you're morally superior, and then it doesn't even work, and you screw it up, even according to your own intentions. To not be horrified and feel absolute remorse, no, just yeah, okay, next. And I thought that was that was a a very good indictment. Incidentally, that I think also the plot twist, because I was asking my wife what she thought, because it it was it was never crystal clear. Was that heroine, again? Who ends up? You know, she's a total badass and does all kinds of cool stuff to to survive was she just messing with the lady and really it had been her on the social media and just wanted to not even give her the satisfaction before she died to think at least she got the right one. And my wife thought her in her opinion no that it was saying she really wasn't that that had been a mistaken identity. And I think I agree with her because that sort of makes sense that the filmmaker the the one character who really was completely in the right, and there was no, you know, no problem with no flaw, was neither from the right nor the left. Right, was a a trooper, you know, served in Afghanistan, and da, 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 you know, and, and it wasn't some political hack. Whereas, if she really had been a Trump supporter, then it would have shown that Trump supporters were in the right. Okay, so anyway, that's that's how that thing went down. It, oh, and just to finish it, wh- where she um it ends up that. The heroine, you know, she dresses her wounds and whatever, puts on a fancy outfit that the rich liberal elite lady hit on and then goes and gets on her private jet because the pilot and the stewardess are still waiting there because, you know, they're not taking part in the combat. And, and she says, you know, hey, the a-holes you worked for are all tried to kill me and I killed them. So now you're going to fly me back home. You got a problem with that? And they're like, no, ma'am. And so then they're in the air and she says to the stewardess, you know, what's there to eat? And she goes, well, we have caviar. And then she says, oh, have you ever had caviar? And she's, "Um, no, ma'am. And she goes, well, you're going to have it today. Sit down. And then, you know, the girl smiles. And so showing that this, uh, you know, this real American is nice to the help, unlike the liberal elite who thought he was so superior to the Trump supporters in the beginning of the movie that he felt justified in hunting them down for sport, even though he treated the working class, you know, as a bunch of serfs, right? So again, that, that was... Obvious commentary criticizing the liberal elites, so that was interesting. So I think the way the movie works, it actually could appeal to both sides, sort of like um, the Colbert report with Stephen Colbert, that that show worked, if you think if you ever saw it, if you didn't see it, Stephen Colbert is a comedian, he was being a real over-the-top right-wing host of a, of a late night show. And so it was funny and it was entertaining whether you were a liberal or a conservative, because if you were a conservative, you would appreciate when Colbert would rip on liberals in character, right? You would identify with him. He would just be sort of an over the top kind of guy. It's sort of like for people who like Alex Jones, they don't take him seriously, but you generally like the spirit of a lot of what he's saying. And he's hilarious because he's so ridiculous, right? So the same kind of thing. If you were from the right, you could watch Colbert and laugh out loud is he skewers leftists with real over-the-top attacks. But likewise, or not likewise, on the other hand, if you were a liberal, you could like Colbert because you'd laugh at how stupid and over-the-top he was. Yeah, conservatives are that dumb. They would like this guy, those idiots. They would like that non sequitur or that appeal to emotion, right? So so that was the brilliance of his show is that by by taking that tack, both sides could like it. And so likewise in this movie, I I imagine both liberals and conservatives, if you weren't opposed to watching a movie about people getting their heads blown off and whatever and getting cut in half, you could enjoy it because they had both sides being ridiculous. So for, I didn't dwell on it, but like the right-wingers, like one point the guy, one of them is like, wait a minute, these are just crisis actors. And, you know, so they're doing stuff like that that's, you know, you could imagine the leftists would be really annoyed by, All right? So- that's that's kind of why it works. Now the last thing I want to say about this movie before we move on to the purge is it occurred to me, you know, when I when I saw it and I realized oh, the outrage over this movie really was misplaced. This movie is not in fact saying, hey, wouldn't it be great if somebody hunted down maga hat-wearing morons? That no, it's actually a satire, it's pretty clever in what it's doing, you know, on its own terms for what it's worth. And so that, of course, is very reminiscent, if you were paying attention, and this was on your radar, to more recently when the outrage over the movie Cuties, so I guess it was like, I think it was originally a French film, and then Netflix released it. And so, you know, there was a huge backlash about that. And so the people defending the director of Cuties and defending Netflix a bit less so we're saying things like, oh, give me a break. These right-wing critics and these, you know, people clutching their pearls and waving their Bibles and falling on their swooning couch over this movie, they haven't even watched the movie. If you watch the movie, you would see that, in fact, it is against the exploitation of young girls. And so, you know, dog guys, this movie is a... Cri-. So here's why that doesn't work. And it, again, you can see superficially that it looks like those people had the same reaction I'm having to the hunt, and so am I not a hypocrite because I was arguing against that defense when it happened with Cuties, whatever, about a month ago as I'm recording this. And yet now I'm given the same type of defense for the movie, The Hunt. Here's the difference. If in the movie, The Hunt, if during the filming, actual Trump supporters had their heads blown off or had their legs shot or cut off and so on, then yes, the critics would have been correct. And I would not have said, oh, you got to watch the movie and give it a chance if I knew that actual human beings were maimed or murdered during the filming of the movie, right? That's a pretty obvious point. No one was actually shot. This was, that was all fake. In contrast, underage girls really did do sexually provocative dances and adults really did have the camera zoom in on their crotches and stuff in the filming of the movie Cuties, okay? So the thing that we're objecting to in the movie really did happen in the making of the movie. So, you know, (laughs) there's lots of different analogies people are using saying, yeah, that'd be like if I was against dog abuse. And so I turned on my camera and tortured my dog and then released that film to show people how bad it was. Or another one I've used was to say, if Jewish people were actually killed during the making of Schindler's List, would you still think that was a movie showing, you know, why the Holocaust was so bad, right? So again, that's the critical difference I don't need to watch the movie Cuties. In fact, I can't watch it if my point is I don't want to condone and participate in something that sexually exploits underage girls because that's what happens in the movie. Not that's what's dramatically discussed in the movie, but that actually happens. And by the way, like the comparisons, people were making comparisons to uh, Taxi Driver with, um, was it Jodie Foster was real young in that. Let's see... Uh, I'm not finding it real fast, but she she was like 14 or something and she played a prostitute, right? But my understanding is, I I saw the movie a long time ago. Number one, it didn't actually show anything, you know, with the act, with Jodie Foster, like she was clothed and everything in in the movie. And my understanding is when they filmed it, if there was a scene that was getting into heavy stuff, like she actually left the set. They actually didn't even have her around because she was a minor and you, you know, you don't, can't have a little kid seeing some of this stuff. All right. So it's, again, it's not the same. And by the way, you could have still done the movie cuties without violating these precepts, right? There's a way you could do it. You know, you could change the camera angle. You could do CGI. You could have stunt double, you know, there's all kinds of stuff you could do. But my understanding is that's not what they did. In fact, they actually just had those actresses who were under 16, I think, Um, some of them I think were even much younger, but I don't want to say a a number and then be wrong, but shockingly young, some of these actresses. And also too, I read stuff about how they auditioned a bunch. So it's not just the ones that made it in the movie, but all the ones that auditioned. And I don't think they were singing somewhere over the rainbow to see if they were going to get cast in that movie. Right? So that's what we're talking about. I'm not saying the director was necessarily demonic. I don't know, but clearly what happened for the making of that film was the exact type of thing that the film was ostensibly trying to critique. So that's the huge difference. And again, that's why I'm not a hypocrite for saying, hey, the outrage over the hunt was actually misplaced. That's not what the director meant. You really need to watch the movie to see what they were doing with it. Whereas the people who said that about Cuties, no, no, you're misunderstanding what the critique was if you think watching the movie matters one way or the other, it doesn't matter. I don't need to watch the movie. Again, unless it turned out you said, no, no, no. In the beginning of the movie, they flash a thing saying all the scenes depicted in here are CGI. Then that would be the only way watching the movie would alleviate my concern. And obviously that's not what they say. Otherwise people would have mentioned that. Folks, let's take a break from the discussion for me to once again, remind you that if you like what you hear, you like the guests that I bring on and The perspective I offer in the solo episodes, by all means, consider making a contribution. The more such contributions I get, the more episodes I can do per month, just as a justification for using my scarce labor hours on this outlet that I love, but yet does not fully pay the bills. And so I can only do it part-time thus far. For details on how you can do that and all the special bonuses, depending on your level of contribution, go to bobmurphyshow.com slash contribute. Let me just mention if you've made a qualifying contribution and you're supposed to get let into the Facebook secret group, shh, it's a secret, and it's been more than two weeks since you've made the contribution and I haven't gotten back to you, that means I somehow missed the note in my inbox. And so don't be shy. Please get in touch and just let me know uh, make sure that I get everybody in there who's supposed to be in there. Last thing I'll mention is whether you contribute or not, another way you can certainly help is subscribe to me on YouTube. And... When you come across an episode that you realize some of your friends might be interested in or, you know, a coworker, and I'm going to be trying to make more episodes that are catering to someone who's not a true believer, as it were, then sharing the episodes with people like that is another great way for me to get the podcast out in front of more people. Thanks, everybody, for your support. And let's get back to the episode. All right. So there's there's my discussion of that. So now let's move on to the purge. So as far as, let me just mention some things about it. So here too, it's obviously got a very shocking premise and part of the appeal of the movie and why people are going to see it in the box office is because it's a bunch of killing, right? It's, you know, it's a bloody movie. I I guess you'd probably call it a horror movie, action slash horror. I suppose you'd call it thriller. Um, So there's that element, but, it's it's not a celebration of that. Like it is, the, the movie is showing you this is a dystopian future. This is bad. And certainly in the first one, and then maybe to a lesser extent in the subsequent, I've seen the first three. But definitely in the first one, like, you know, the typical thing in movies where the characters grow over time. So like somebody who's originally thinks the purge is a good idea. And then the movie, as it progresses, ends up in a situation where he's going to do something very immoral. And then he has a change of heart. And, da, 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 you know, so that's the you know, standard movie trope. But that happens. And so again, the the movie is not telling you that, oh, wouldn't this be awesome if one day a year we could just really let loose and kill people? Oh, that's not what it's doing. It's, it's showing you, look at how bad that would be. Now, having said that, let me just mention some things. Well, a few other points. So it's interesting they they clarify. So it's actually just a twelve hour period. It's not a full day. So it, it starts. I think it's seven o'clock at night, and then seven a.m. the next day is when it's over. And there's big like rrr, rrr, you know horns to alert you. the The monitors turn on, and the government says we are now beginning the you know this year's purge. For the next twelve hours, all crime will be legal, including murder. But then they clarify and say um, the government officials of level 10 are exempt, right? So you you still can't kill government officials. So that's an interesting clue that, wait a minute, something's a little fishy here. And um, they also say you can only use weapons class four or lower. So at least in the first three words, they don't specify what does that mean exactly. But the point is you can't like go steal a plane and drop hydrogen bombs on people all right, Um, that that would still be illegal. But you can use weapons class four. And you you see people using some pretty heavy-duty stuff. At least in the first three movies, though, I haven't seen like a tank, for example. I don't know if that's allowed. But people can certainly have big, huge Gatling guns and things like that. So just a few things that occurred to me while watching this. One is that cooperation is still essential. Right. So even in the dog eat dog world where anything goes, there's no rules except there's no rules. That's the only rule. Even in that world, the people who are really menacing, it's not just some crazy guy running around like Jack the Ripper or you know Jason Voorhees or something. It's gangs, you know, who work together, who don't just slaughter each other where they have rules and they help each other. That's who you gotta watch out for. And then even more specifically, ones who are connected to the government, right? So, because they're going around like in really heavy-duty vehicles with, you know, body armor on and stuff like that. And they all, of course, work together. They have a team c- commander and things. So, m- my point is, even on this night of pure anarchy and lost, it, that it's not just crazy, you know, chaotic, evil things running around that are just completely, no, it's like coordinated groups who follow social codes and mores with respect to each other are the, are the real people you got to watch out for. And that's what they do. They organize, you know what I mean? So people go out and hunt during the purge, but as a pack, right? And so that kind of shows that the benefits of social cooperation. And so even there, it's really only isolated acts of disregarding customs and so on. And, you know, Oh, should I, refrain from wanton violence against the person standing right next to me. Well, if you're part of a, of a pack that's hunting, yeah, you have to do that. Otherwise it won't work, right? If you're always worried that the guy walking behind you with the crazy, scary mask on is going to stab you in the back. Well, then you're not going to walk around with him, And and so then you're not going to be as hunt effective as a hunter, right? So I'm just, just pointing that out that it's interesting, even on its own terms in order for these groups to be formidable they can't be purging on each other, you know, or at least not too much. There's got to be honor among thieves, as it were, honor among purgers. Another interesting thing is they show, they keep trying to explain, like, why would anybody support this? This, new, you know, this new thing. So the, the justification they give is that, oh, this this allows us to, you know, vent our anger and get, you know, get all of our emotions out and, and so on this, you know, this 12-hour period every year to cleanse ourselves. For, so for one thing, they don't explain why is it every year? Like, why wouldn't it be every six months? Or why wouldn't it be every five years? You know, that kind of thing. It's just, okay, it's every year. And they, they show in the first movie, they say unemployment was down to 1%. And it's funny, in the second movie, I think, they say unemployment's 5%. And they're saying that as if that's like a really good thing. Which is funny, because no, actually, in real life, unemployment was way below 5%, you know, before the pandemic hit. So it's, that's not like, oh, yeah, To get unemployment down in the 4%, you got to be willing to have people get killed every year. But what's interesting is, I think the economic premise there is, oh, by periodically letting basically the rich people go and wipe out the undesirables, which is kind of like the premise behind that, or not the premise, but like the subtext of this movie or this franchise, The Purge, is that it turns out in practice, even though, yes, theoretically, anybody can do anything except to government officials, in practice, it's realistic that the rich people they get you know high tech security. They install systems on their homes so that big metal plates come down and cover the doors and windows. You know, they live in gated communities. They have all kinds of heavy weaponry, secure other types of security systems. Whereas the homeless are really screwed, and just regular poor people living in apartments. You know, they they don't have anything really except like oh the outer door to the apartment complex. They might put a bar on it or something but they're kind of sitting ducks too. And so the rich just go out. And that's, so that's part of the thing. And so my point though is they're, they're saying, oh, in a world like this, oh, sure, it's immoral. But hey, at least the unemployment rate's really low. And I want to say, no, that, that's not how it would play out. That, for example, okay, every year, yeah, I guess they're trying to say, oh, like the people who were out of work some of them would get killed. Well, yeah, okay, but then a lot of employers would get killed too. And you could say, okay, it wouldn't be, the ratio wouldn't be there. Okay, fine, but if some guy who runs a business that has 10 employees gets killed, well, then there's 10 jobs now that people are out of work, right? So, you know, you you don't help stabilize the labor market by every year just having murder be legalized, right? And also. So far in the first three movies, they haven't really focused on this. It's mostly just been murder. They haven't shown like people looting too much. There was a little bit of that in the, I think it was the third one where uh, there was like a guy who owned a deli or something and it looked like there were people trying to get in. But even there, it looked more like they were trying to get in to kill him as opposed to just to loot the store. And so my point being, businesses would get ransacked every year in this world. And so wouldn't that, or at least businesses in poor areas where they couldn't afford very well to, you know, stock put, to put up security. So, you know, those people would be out of work at least for a while too, whoever used to work at that store or they wouldn't get hired in the first place. So my point being, I don't even want to concede that, oh yeah, this would be a good world or sorry, a horrible world in terms of the morality and whatever, because killing is wrong. But you know, on the bright side, at least they'd have low unemployment. That's that's not correct. And also, too, the way if you think about it, like it's it's not. How am I trying to put it? the The way the people were justifying this in the movie, and again, the 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 filmmaker is against the purge. He's not glorifying it. The the point of the movies is this is a horrible thing. But the characters in the movie who seek to justify the policy you know, they're they're sort of doing like an evolutionary thing about, oh, we're just cleansing the ranks. And, and so I think, again, the idea is, oh, all these people who can't find work, let's just get rid of them. That will make us wealthier. And I we'll say, no, they're not, like, it's it's not making you richer. If there's somebody out there who doesn't have a job and you just go kill them, that's, that's not making you richer. What you could do instead, because you might, because I think, you'd, you know, they'd say, oh, no, they're taking our tax dollars, taking welfare. Okay, so if there's enough of a, of support among the citizenry to allow us to murder those people and a bunch of other people too who do have jobs, well then why, you know, hear me out. How about instead of that, instead we just end welfare and get rid of the minimum wage? Because that would also make the unemployment rate go down to 1%, right? So (laughs) wouldn't you be able to build a coalition around that, those sets of policies as opposed to, hey, how about every year rich people can go slaughter poor people and they don't get prosecuted. How's that? So, you know, again, I know it's a movie and that would be kind of a boring movie to talk about the great, the great abolition of the minimum wage in five parts coming in 2022. So let's talk a little bit more about the basic premise, which is that if the government stopped enforcing laws for a 12-hour period there would be roving bands of murderous thugs. So what's interesting is even in the movie, they do suggest that the people left to their own devices wouldn't largely exercise that option, right? That it would just be a few social deviants who, in other words, who are being held in check by threat of government punishment and who wanted to let their demons out, you know, during the purge. Because they show, like most people, As as the, you know, as the hour, as the seven o'clock hour approaches, you know, say things like, they say, stay safe, Um, you know, like they're wishing, okay, well, getting close to lockdown, let's go home, stay safe, everybody, right? So most people, when this thing approaches, just go and barricade themselves and wait the night out, right? So it's showing that, that right off the top, most people do not participate in this thing. Like you got to be a nut job or a poor homeless guy or something. If you're outside after seven o'clock on purge night. So there's that. But then even beyond that, as the movies progress, it's showing that, you know, there's actually someone who works for the government who says at one point, I think it's in the second movie. isn't this? Well, it's either second or third movie. Who says near the end, like, you know, this guy has been instigating stuff throughout and he's really well, he's, he's backed by some wealthy person. And it turns out he's working for the government. And they're going around, you know, grabbing poor people and fomenting chaos and he says, because the civilians aren't purging enough or not enough civilians are participating in the purge. And so that's why we got to help things along. Okay, so admitting the government officials who have this policy in place for their nefarious ends realize people left to their own devices actually don't want to just go kill each other, at least in general. That's not the norm. And so the government has to f- foment it. And that reminds me, if you've never heard about the Christmas Day truce. So in World War I, when the first Christmas rolls around that, you know, there's the, the camps on both sides, you know, on both sides of no man's land. They come out, and they like start singing Christmas hymns and things and they can hear the other side singing, I guess in German, French and whatever. And they come out and they start exchanging cigarettes and, and start playing soccer or they probably call it football, crazy Europeans. And, you know, j- just having a truth because it's Christmas. Like, hey, why don't we stop the host- hostilities here and be human beings again for a little bit? and when the commanding officers hear about that they're outraged and they like you know rotate the troops away from the front lines and blah 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 and then they make sure as the next christmas comes that that doesn't happen again because you know oh my gosh we can't have an outbreak of peace on the front when we're you know doing our best to get our guys to slaughter their guys kind of thing so again just showing and and i think i've also read that this sort of equilibrium would develop on the front where the the people you know so you got your rifle And you're shooting across no man's land at the other guys who are behind their barricades and whatever, sandbags and whatnot. And so apparently, at least on some portions of it, this sort of equilibrium would develop where you would purposely shoot up, like knowing you're not hitting anybody. And then your counterpart on the other side would do the same thing. It's like intentionally missing because, you know, realizing, you know, we don't want to be here. We were all drafted. This is awful. We're sitting here in excrement and there's rats and my buddy's dead body is floating here and his vomit. This is just the hell on earth. And you no, know, I don't need to be sitting here shooting at some guy across the, th- the way that I know is drafted. Also because of you know these monarchs are having their squabble, right? So that that was the idea. And when the, again the superior officers, you know, realizing this, rotate those troops out and they put in place you know new incentives and whatever to make sure. No, no, no. You got to make sure you're, you're trying to kill them. Right, so that's kind of what this reminded me of. That in, in these purge movies, they're showing people actually aren't all champing at the bit, waiting to murder each other, except they're held back by the government. It's and on the contrary, it's the government that's forcing all this. So beyond that, though, I do want to just remind the anarcho-capitalist listeners, and I say this when it comes to the drug war, and I'll, I'll just go through the argument again very quickly, even anarcho-capitalists sometimes when they're explaining how is it the drug war promotes violence why is it that when you make the sale and consumption of cocaine illegal for example that that leads to violence in the cocaine industry so that's it's an empirical fact like that's that's clearly got to be true just like when they legalized alcohol all of a sudden the bootleggers stopped shooting each other over alcohol now alcohol is completely legitimate business and you know, the executives at one beer company wouldn't ever dream of gunning down the executives at another beer company in broad daylight. They wouldn't even do it at night um, to gain market share, whereas it's totally normal for drug deals to go wrong or for, you know, one gang to take out some other gang because, hey, you know, we're selling crack on this corner, not you kind of thing. That's totally normal, but yet with alcohol, it wouldn't be. And yet when alcohol was illegal, as it was during prohibition in the U.S., then you did have organized crime, you know, Al Capone famously involved in the alcohol trade and using violence there as well. So clearly it's not about the drugs themselves that makes the people who deal in them be violent. It has to do with the prohibition. But now the question is, okay, specifically, what is it? What is it about government prohibition of the drug trade that causes there to be violence in it And so here, you know, there's some stuff that I think is perfectly fine. But one of the arguments, again, that I've even seen anarcho-capitalists use is they'll say, "Oh, because these are now illegal contraband. If somebody robs you, you know, let's say you're a drug dealer, and someone comes into your apartment and takes, you know, all your heroin at gunpoint and leaves, or let's say you were, you know, meeting in a parking garage and you were swapping your cash for the heroin and they and they steal it, you can't go call nine one one and report a robbery because." You know, this is illegal stuff. And so because now there's not the protection for property rights there, that there is, that the, you know, the, the, the police and judicial system offer for other goods and services, that's why there's more crime in the drug trade. And so my point is, if that's the argument you're gonna make, well, you're conceding that the government, police and courts do a good job or not do a good job, but at least they, they're better than nothing. And that's sort of interesting from an ANCAP perspective, isn't it? And so that's why I want to refine it and say, no, really what it is, it's that the government, police and courts, it's not that they're refraining from hunting down the guy who stole your heroin. That's not why there's violence. And that's not why the guy might be tempted to steal your heroin at gunpoint. Rather, it's that the government, police, and courts will not allow you to hire private mercenaries to go hunt down the guy who stole your heroin. You you see that? And that's a critical point. Furthermore, it's that if you took steps to better protect yourself such that it was publicly known where you were and that you had all this contraband on you, they would come in and raid the place, right? So – One easy way to make sure you don't get shot on the street corner selling your drugs is to rent or buy a storefront and install bulletproof glass and like sort of like, you know, airlock chambers as it were with metal detectors and things like that to make sure the people coming into your store aren't carrying heavy, heavy weaponry to buy the product and then leave. And that's how you could ensure that there's no drug deal gone bad. And why can't you do that? Well, because if it became well known that, oh, yeah, that storefront right there, they don't sell Chinese food. It's not a hardware store. That's where they sell heroin. Well, you know, some local pastor is going to call the police and say, right, we got kids going to school down the street from this place. You kidding me? Shut that down, or I'm going to call the mayor and say, this is, you know, racist. And so the police would shut it down, right? So again, the reason there's violence there, it's not simply that oh it's because we don't we have inadequate law it's that the police aren't helping us enough to help me track down the guy who stole my drugs no it's that the police are quote helping too much it's because the police are enforcing a bunch of other i would say illegitimate laws namely like you can't hire private security to protect yourself from guys trying to steal your heroin it's that that's, that's the problem right it's, People acting in the private sector could totally defend themselves from petty thieves or even more serious criminals if they were allowed to do so, if the if the free market really were free, or if the market really were free, I'll say. All right, but it's not. The government's not going to let some other group challenge it by offering protection services, a la, you know, Rothbardian defense agencies. Those are always illegal in the modern world. Okay. So that's, you know, that's a critical part of the story if you're trying to explain the, the stuff with the director. So likewise, with this stuff, with The Purge, they do start getting into a little bit as the movies progress. They, they start getting this. So On the beginning one, it's just like featuring a homeowner and the only thing they've shown is that rich people have sophisticated security systems installed. But then by the next movie, they start showing that, oh no, the, the markets emerge and now, you know, people can hire things, you know, and so they haven't gotten into it yet, but my point is in real life, what would happen is if everything's legal, then there would be defense agencies, you know, that they could plan during the year and just, you know, not doing things, get ready to go. And as soon as 7 p.m. hits, then they could import all sorts of weapons, I say, you know, that are class four or lower, I guess, to not be in violation of the law and really stockpile, you know, if there's cities that have gun control or whatever, and they can rush in all the guns to their guys and have flak jackets and that, that, that. And then they could go around patrolling. And if they see somebody getting, you know, who's out in the street or whatever, they could come up and be like, hey, you know, we're going to charge you for overtime or whatever because you didn't have a plan with us, but we'll escort you to your house and da-da-da, and but, you know, you got to pay us $1,000. And somebody gets caught. By the way, that's another goofy thing about these movies. People are doing stuff like they're going and getting bread at the grocery store at 6.30 when, when the bird starts at seven. And Oh no, my car broke down. I mean, to me, that's ridiculous. Nobody, <laughs> you would be in your house and testing your, and in the first movie too, like they, they look at the clock and like, oh, it's 6.55. We better turn on the security system when, you know, you would have been locking that thing down earlier. Well, probably the, the previous Tuesday to make, make sure like the gears didn't jam or something while that thing was locking. But in any event, for people who somehow get caught outside of their home, there would be businesses involved. Moreover, you know, in poorer communities, there would be businesses that would come in and, you know, erect big safe areas and, you know, just tell people, okay, for 50 bucks, you can come in here and wait the 12 hours out. You know, we've got a hundred guys with Uzis patrolling, you know, just to keep keep the riffraff away, you know, that kind of stuff. And yet there's nothing like that. And so it's partly, I think... (laughs) failure of imagination. And also maybe as the movies progress, they're going to get more sophisticated because they got to keep one-upping the previous movie. But my point is they're, they're showing, oh, yeah, without government policing, but okay, if the government really isn't going to enforce anything, then in that power vacuum, Rothbardian defense agencies could spring to life. And ironically, the only reason that would be muted somewhat is that you only get a 12-hour period to recoup, you know, your investments to get, to get the revenue that if it were like a week period, then it would make more sense. And ultimately, a, I hope you see where I'm going with this, folks, is that if, you wanted, if, you, if you're a fan of Rothbard, you should want the purge to last all year, to be perpetual, where the US government says, we are not going to enforce any laws, nor is any state or local government going to enforce any laws starting now, go. And rather than thinking, oh no, we're all going to get slaughtered, is if you're a Rothbardian, you should say we're finally free, right? And it doesn't mean we're all going to get slaughtered because now private defense agencies can spring to existence, and you know guys who aren't malevolent, homicidal maniacs can get organized. Sort of like if you saw the second, you know, it's the third one where the guy, the hero, and the second one ends up getting, you know, he's like running a security agency for this senator who's running for president. So like that, except more so. There'd be plenty of agencies like that where guys who are, who are ex-military or whatever would offer service, protection services and you would just see that proliferate. And again, like I say, the reason it doesn't happen more, partly because the, you know, the movies, they need there to be gore and just have rampant violence. That's the whole point of the movie or the series. But also, it's only for a 12-hour period. If it were for a one-month period, then it would make more sense for these more institutional companies to come into existence, And ultimately, like I say, The Purge, if it lasted indefinitely, would be Rothbard land. And so if you're an ANCAP, when you're watching The Purge movie, if you're saying, yep, that's how humans are, I would challenge you to say, well, then why the heck are you a Rothbardian? Maybe you're right, in which case maybe Rothbard is wrong. I'm I'm not, you know, you can guess where my leanings are, but my point is for sure there's a problem there. If you think The Purge movies are basically accurate, then you have to ask yourself, why are you a Rothbardian then? Okay. Um, just some, some other things I was wondering too about how it works, which would be interesting to see, is like, if you were a business person, could you like structure your deals so that in that 12-hour period, a lot of taxable activity occurs so that you can do things without having to pay tax? Because, hey, that's legal. If if you get what I'm saying, like, could you quote evade your taxes in that 12-hour period and as long as the transaction was consummated before 7 a.m., does that mean now the gov- the IRS can't come after you, right? Because again, the, the idea is you can go shoot somebody and then you can't be prosecuted the next day for the murder you committed last night because no, I did the murder during the purge hours and everything's off, you know, on the table except killing a government official or using a weapon that's worse than a class four. I don't know if it goes class five or class three, right? So by the same token, like, could you sell a bunch of stock and realize your capital gains and then not have to pay tax. If you do it, you know, maybe maybe you can't do it because the the markets are closed, but you get what I'm saying. And also too, I'm not sure like what happens with property titles. If you steal somebody's car during the purge, clearly that person can't call the cops that night. But then 710, the next morning, can they call the cops? Yeah, that guy's driving around my car. At which point, you know, are you in possession of a stolen car? It's, it's not clear how that works. Or do you get to say, no, I stole it fair and square last night. So now it's mine. And, you know, in case that seems goofy to you, well, right. But likewise, like if you killed someone during the night, the person's still dead as of 7, 10 the next morning. So at that point, can you be prosecuted? You know, so it's an interesting thing how that, how that works. Like, cause if you stole the car from somebody last night, you know, or, or like, let's say you chop somebody's hand off and you still had it on you the next day. Like, do you have to hand the hand back over? Because, <laughs> oh, hey, hey you know, we can't prosecute you for the violence, but you can't carry around the guy's hand. That's his hand. Give it back. It's not clear. These are the types of things I need to know. But in any event, you know, I'm, that's what I'm, I'm wondering in terms of the legality of it. Could you organize these you know agencies that would would challenge the police, as it were, like would be rivals, providing police and, and legal services and whatnot during that twelve hour period, and then what would they just have to disband as soon as the as seven a.m. rolls around? It's unclear, but again, my my overarching point is keep in mind if you are a Rothbardian that if you watch those Purge movies, strictly speaking, so what I'm getting at is besides the fact that the government behind the scenes was engaged in actively going around and killing people and whatever, as you learn in later movies, but the mere fact of the purge that they are going to refrain from enforcing laws so long as they really are consistent. And again, so that that's to connect it with my drug war stuff in case you're, you're missing the point here. The problem with the drug war stuff, for example, to put it differently Someone might say, oh, yeah, the police never even go into that part of the inner city. That's just, you know, a free for all. That's anarchy. And that's why there's so many drive by shootings, you know, and drug deals gone wrong in that section of town because the police won't even go in there. That statement is what I'm saying is wrong, because if it were literally true that the police never went into this area of town, then you would have Rothbardian defense agencies or at the very least, you would have storefronts that would have bulletproof glass and things like that. And, you know, 15 employees who are ex Delta force with, with flak jackets and combat helmets and things like that. And whatever armored personnel carriers coming and going, that sort of thing. But yet you don't have that because if someone did try to set that up to get a, you know, a drug operation going, then whether it be the local police or probably like the BATF or somebody, in conjunction with the DEA and the FBI, they would come in and shut that place down. All right, so it is not the case that there are certain areas where the government at all levels in the U.S. just never goes there, and that's why it's so awful. That That's not correct. And I've beaten to death probably why. And so likewise with the Purge movies, if it really were the case that for a 12-hour period, the U.S. government does nothing and the state and local do nothing. That per se doesn't mean oh, so therefore everyone goes around shooting each other. Or if it, it means if they do, well then okay, just if it's legal for someone to go around and shoot people, well then it's also legal for people to shoot them back. And and incidentally, this and they're kind of getting into it a little bit in the movies. This idea of you know revenge. In other words, if you so yes. You know, I'm allowed to, uh, you know, there's some things in there within some of the movies about or one of the movies where some lady realizes her sister is sleeping with her husband. And so, you know, she's acting real cool and everything. And then she pulls a gun out and shoots her, you know, when they're having a dinner party, once the purge starts. And you can do stuff like that, but then by the same token, you know, you can be shot back or people can plot for the next year. Right. And so... It's, it's, it's not really the, what am I trying to say? Just because the government is not going to have its own employees punish you for murder does not mean murder goes unpunished. That's what I'm trying to get across. That you could still have organized things and there could, it could even be markets, right? So you, what you could do is let's say, you know, some crazy guy breaks into your house and, you know, kills your wife or something during the purge and hey, you know, and you can't call the police. Well, you can still wait a year. You can still, there can be companies that say, hey, did you have a loved one that you lost last year? Well, this next purge, will make it right. You know, you give us the information, we'll figure out who it is. We hire, you know, all these ex-Navy SEALs. You know, we got to wait till the next purge, of course, because we, you know, we didn't prove this in a court of law. We're just taking your word for it. But so I'm saying there'd be all sorts of contract hits and things and markets would develop so that people would know, yeah, if you do kill somebody during the purge, the government's not going to get you the next day, but you very well might be taken out a year later. And moreover, you being taken out a year later is more certain if the purges continue. You see how that works, folks? So, so let me repeat that because it's an important point. If you, you know, you, you have a grudge, you, your neighbor down the street, you've never liked that guy. Oh, that guy's so smug. You know, I can't, imagine, imagine if there was just one time a year when it was legal for you to just, to kill people, <laughs> like George Carlin has a funny routine where he's, where he's like, or he, maybe he said it in one of his books, I don't know if he ever said it on stage, where he was saying there ought to be a thing where, like, for one day out of the year, you can just kill people. And he said, now it can't be some bogus reason like he screwed my wife. It's got to be a legit reason. Like, no, the guy's just a real a-hole. You know, so this is kind of funny, but you know, so there's your neighbor down the street. You can't stand the guy. You know, he's cutting the lawn wearing those, those khaki shirts. All that's like, what is this? who's this guy I think he is? I'm gonna kill. Okay, so if there was just one purge, one 12-hour period, and you went ahead and did that, then maybe you get away with it and that was it. And so, yeah, maybe that would, if everybody knew there was just going to be this 12-hour period, the government's not going to force any laws, and then that's it, and that's the only purge we're ever going to have, maybe there would be a bunch of rampant murders like that for you know silly reasons. But if people knew, no, every year this is going to happen, you might be a lot more hesitant. You know, there certainly wouldn't be as many... Deliberate murders, right? So, the, again, the movie shows there are some people that are just nut jobs and sadistic animals who, you know, put on clown masks and go out with machetes and stuff. Okay, so maybe they would still do that. But the people who are more rational and deliberative about it, thinking, oh, I can actually get away with it. Nobody can touch me as long as I, don't, as I survive the night. No, as long as it's a recurring policy, then the people who don't like the fact that you just killed that person. All they gotta do is wait for a year, and they can hire some company that specializes in tracking down, you know, people, and 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 to get reputable hitmen to work for them. I know that sounds like it's a contradiction, but if you watch the Purge movies, you realize, well, no, they kind of make a distinction. Even though you folks know I'm a pacifist, I still understand watching the movie who the good guys are and who the bad guys are, and there's a huge difference between someone grabbing innocent people and getting ready to kill them for sport, and then a vigilante coming in and shooting the guys who grabbed the innocent people to rescue them, right? There's obviously a humongous moral difference between those two cases. And so there would be a lot of people who were trained in the use of firearms who would work for companies to go kill people if they were presented with evidence to see, okay, we reasonably expect that, you know, these people were asking you to kill and paying you a nice sum, by the way, are bad guys, right? That you're not just hiring, you know, our clients are not paying you to hire, to kill this guy because he didn't give you the bonus you thought you deserved at your job and it's your boss. Like, no, like stuff like, oh yeah, he raped my daughter last year during the purge. So this guy needs to die, that kind of stuff, right? So ironically, the more it was a known policy, I think actually that would have a deterrent effect. And really you wouldn't see a lot of rampant killings because people would realize, no, the most I'm going to last is a year and then they're coming and taking me out. And if you say, well, no, because then there would be rogue companies that would sp- spring into existence that would say, hey, if you're a rapist or a homicidal maniac, hire us and we'll protect you from the retribution. Okay. And then those agencies would clash and you, then you're back to, well, gee, wouldn't the warring defense agencies duke it out? And, you know, I would say no, in, in pretty short order, more, most people are fairly decent you know we can have discussions about human nature and everything like that from a christian perspective but most people are not homicidal maniacs that revel in innocent people being tortured and killed on purge night and so the companies that have more sensible humane policies like our personnel only shoot at people that we think were aggressors are going to be able to retain much bigger personnel and so on and have much better backing from the community and you know obviously folks, what I'm getting into here is just the standard libertarian anarcho-capitalist arguments against like Ayn Rand saying, oh, there would just be huge battles on the street all the time. So no, there wouldn't be. Okay. So that's the kind of thing that I'm saying would would happen. And the only reason that wouldn't happen is if the government comes in and says, oh, wait a minute. No, we can't allow for this proliferation of these large scale networks of defense services that spring into operation every purge night. That's illegal. Which in the premises of the movie, they, they probably would do that because they, they want the purges to be bloody, all right? So again, it's analogous to the, the drug war stuff that really the, the reason if the purge scenarios happen that those movies would play out the way they do over time is if the government must also be short-circuiting the normal mechanisms by which a free people would respond to the possibility of homicide, all right and last point again i've said it before i'll say it one more time the way to make it better would be to expand the 12-hour thing that to make it one week would be better than 12 hours again especially if they told everybody in advance okay i think i've talked enough about the purge so i'll stop there and uh thanks for your attention maybe i'll tell you about the next movie i watch catch you later folks you've just experienced another episode of the bob murphy show The podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. For more information and to subscribe to this podcast, visit BobMurphyShow.com.